knowing what you believe and why you believe it lies at the very heart of Christian experience, worship, and everyday living. The Bible's not about you. You're not David. Trouble in life is not Goliath. Jesus is going to be David in the shadow. Goliath is going to be sin and death. Who's that make you? Uh, and it doesn't make you the Israelites in the corner going, he's going to kill all of us. That's exactly who you are. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I, with body and soul, life and in death, am not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Gospel is that God the Son freely agreed to die our death for us, to suffer our deserved condemnation and doom in our place. And he didn't just agree from eternity to do it, he actually did it. It is fatal, fatal for us to think that we can ever move on from the gospel. The great problem in the evangelical church today where the scripture is concerned is not the inerrancy of the Bible. The great problem in the evangelical church today is the sufficiency of scripture. We don't think it's sufficient to do what we have to do. So we have to wake up what's happening and recognize that the problem really is our lack of theology. Hi and welcome to Theology Gals. I am Colleen and I have Angela still sitting in for Ashley. And I still did, here. <laughs> I did want to announce that Ashley did have her baby. Yay. She had she has a healthy and baby boy. And his name's Theodore, and he was over nine pounds. She was 10 days late, so I think she is just over the moon to be able to hold her baby now. So we're really, really excited for her. So I don't usually bring up some of the different debates going on. You know, there's been a lot. There's there's always something in the Reformed world that people are debating, and I I guess I did a few weeks ago. I brought up the Revoice Conference. And mm -hmm. when we brought up the Revoice Conference, it wasn't really, there wasn't as much attention to it. There's been a lot more debate surrounding it since. But this week, it has been kind of a big week in evangelical, uh, different church ecclesiology and polity. And so, one of the debates this week, well, we've got the, the PCAGA going on right now, which there's been a lot mm -hmm. on Twitter. A lot of the Reformed Church General Assemblies are happening around this time. And the Southern Baptist Convention had their big convention that they do every, I don't know if it's every year. <laughs> I, <laughs> I actually, I've never been in the Southern Baptist Church. And I've don't know a lot about it. I know that there are some similarities to what I grew up in, which was the Evangelical Free Church, where mm -hmm. they don't necessarily consider themselves a denomination like, you know, the Presbyterian Church in America or Orthodox Presbyterian right. Church. They're an association of churches. And one thing that's similar between the Southern Baptist Convention and Evangelical Free Church is there is a strong emphasis on church autonomy. So there isn't a lot of ecclesiastical authority beyond the local church. There are certain things that churches do have to sign on to. I've heard stories, you know, this church was kicked out of the Southern Baptist Convention because they, you know, were practicing something contrary to 
those theological standards, but it's you'll find a lot of differences theologically in the Southern Baptist Convention in the Evangelical Free Church. Mm-hmm. You know, so you can find you can you can find a very Calvinistic Reformed Baptist type church, and then across town you've got a more of a Wesleyan Arminian type church. So right. there there's a lot of differences in there. But one of the big things that came up and we had so many people try to post about it in the theology gals group. And I think, was it you or me? One of us finally did a post saying, I think we did something. My memory is probably not Mm -hmm. remembering. Yeah. Um, (laughs) And, and the big debate this week, even though I, it was, it was more talk because I think things were already, things were already going on who was running for Mm-hmm. president of the Southern Baptist Convention. But somebody on Twitter suggested Beth Moore should run for president of the Southern Baptist Convention. And that really brought up a ton of debate. And you and I have talked about this, Angela. We've talked right. about it a lot in our admin chat. Really made me think, I, I don't always pay a ton of attention to what's going on in the Southern Baptist Convention. But what I realized is I really have very little understanding of their church polity, how mm-hmm. things are run. Because I think I said when we were talking about this, does the president of the Southern Baptist Convention have any ecclesiastical authority? Because then that would influence, you know, what what I think about it. And But before I even go into that, I just saw something before we started taping on Twitter, and this was regarding something that happened at the PCA General Assembly today, I believe. And mm-hmm. the first tweet says, PCAGA voted to answer Overture 26, amend the Book of Church Order 14-1.1, and the corporate bylaws of the PCA, blah, 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 so that a minority of seats on the Board of Trustees of Covenant College may be open to non-ordained members. Mm. In the negative, the vote was 727-449-18. Now, someone else quoting that tweet, and I can't read the whole thing because there's a little bit of bad language here, but said, PCAGA decides that women aren't allowed on the Board of Covenant College. This is truly some bleep and current covenant students should raise bleep about it. So I thought, well, well, that's very interesting because I, this is something I didn't even realize. So now the reason why specifically that women in this case, the reason why women aren't allowed on the board of Covenant College is because no non-ordained person is allowed. Whether Mm -hmm. you think it's right or wrong, they're, they're not saying only women can't. They're saying right. only ordained people can can hold that position. Now, somebody right. responded to this guy and said, it's also important to remember that covenant is a denominational entity, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. means its dealings are under the authority of the church. What's done right. for covenant college become ecclesiastical matters, which means only teaching elders and ruling elders are what is to make up the board of trustees as they govern the PCA. But in my research on the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, and this is where it gets a little bit interesting, is I think I saw something that says something like most 
of the presidents of the Southern Baptist Convention have been pastors, but not right. all. Now, I don't know if the ones who have not been are ruling elders. I, I don't know the answer to that. Now, if they have a church bylaw that says only ordained men can be president of the Southern Baptist Convention, then I would say that absolutely a woman should not be in that position. But I, I am curious if in, yeah, I know it's a position that's held for one year. So, you know, it's, there's been quite a few of them. I'm not sure if they can, if they can be the president, you know, more than one term or not. I'm not, I did not research this a lot, but I do wonder what sort of ecclesiastical authority that a president of the Southern Baptist Convention holds. So that's my, that's my little speech on it. <laughs> um, yeah, that is, it is a very, very interesting question. I, I did some reading myself just to kind of be knowledgeable as just to help me understand some of the arguments going on here. And, and I did come across something um, posted on specifically on an SBC blog that was talking about uh, SBC presidents that have been elected. I, I guess they've had 58 uh, presidents um, since they've been the SBC and they have been, Sometimes pastors, sometimes denominational workers, sometimes lay people. Okay, so they have been sometimes mm -hmm. lay and this, people. This goes on to say sometimes educational institution heads and sometimes political leaders. So it, it sounds to me that it's been sort of uh, blurry in the past, even though it has only ever been men. But from what I understand, there's there's nothing actually in the bylaws stating that the president has to be ordained. So okay, see um, that that's where I mean. Okay, first of all, I don't I do not agree with the ecclesiology in the Southern mm -hmm. Baptist Convention. So mm -hmm. I'm not I'm in no way saying a woman should be president because right. I, I don't think anybody should be president of the Southern right. Baptist Convention. Actually, so let me just say that. Secondly, I have a boatload <laughs> of problems with Beth Moore. So right. uh, I would have concerns with, with her. And, I, and from what I understand, this was not something she ever considered or even wanted. It was something somebody suggested right. on Twitter, and, and it kind of blew up from there. Okay, so let me say that. But I, I really, one thing I did really think to myself is what, what is the scriptural, uh, what, you know, what is the biblical defense for a president of a denomination and, and, and why that should only be a man, especially if we're not saying it needs to be an ordained man. Now, I, I can see if there's any ecclesiastical authority at all, I would think that needs to be an ordained man, not just a lay person. You know, in, at the Covenant College situation, no non-ordained person can be on that board. None. So right. if, if a man, so believing that only men should be ordained, uh, but not just any man, it has right. to be a man who is qualified and right. ordained in an, in an office. So, so that makes that, that, that makes that unavailable to women. Yes. But also unavailable to a lot of men. Right. Any man who's not ordained is not mm -hmm. a teaching or ruling elder. That's right. Is in 
is in that office and and you know we we say that that elders are to be qualified men and so that that mm-hmm. leaves out the the general lay person so anyways i it's an interesting it's an interesting uh discussion and right. i think i i personally think that if they're going to stand up and say a woman cannot be the president then they are going to have to really look at what are the necessary qualifications for a president and mm-hmm. they may have to do something like is in the the PCA book of church order regarding covenant college and say we we think that the president needs to be an ordained man right ordained person which would necessitate a man sure yeah i mean <laughs> uh you know just to just to go on and open the can of worms like we talked about in in the theology gals group um of course what we think would solve this issue is formation of a presbytery with actual ecclesiastical authority right and then you have you have a, something very clear a very clear statement on who is actually has the ecclesiastical authority and that's ordained men ordained right. elders and so that is why it's a very clear answer on the covenant college uh the covenant seminary situation because it's it's very easy it's ordained men well and if they bear any sort of ecclesiastical authority then then that would make sense if mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know enough to know exactly what sort of ecclesiastical authority. One thing I do I do really appreciate in Presbyterianism, there's no one man that's in charge. Now, I don't think that's right. the case because of the church autonomy. I don't think it's the case in the Southern Baptist Convention either. Right. The president has power per se. But right. it is, you know, if... If there is a situation in my own church and and then it goes to the session, which is all of the elders, mm-hmm. and, and then it goes beyond there, it's going it's going to the presbytery. Mm-hmm. So it's not mm-hmm. going to just, you know, the Pope who's gonna decide or you know Right. Right. Well, you know what's interesting is that right there, even at that very first level, where um in the Presbyterian church we have our first level of church leadership is um, the session, that's the local group of elders at your own church. Even that uh, level, there's not necessarily something analogous in the SBC because you do have churches that are elder-led, and then you have a whole other group of churches that are not elder-led, that are maybe pastor-led, or they've got committees, or maybe they've got a pastor and deacons, or some hybrid mixture of some of those things. And some of those churches actually are there are ones that are even hostile to the idea of elder led because they see that as something that's being brought in by, by the Calvinist uh, bunch. And so um, it's very, very interesting because, um, you know, I do know the PCA was formed uh, sort of as a motley crew in the first place. Um, The SBC, that much more is, is sort of just a motley mix of all different things uh, and, and so I, I, it's interesting because I do think that that's actually something that in a way is something that SBCers even kind of take pride in because there's a way that they're unified under one convention. I, I think that even if you look up their literature, this, they say we're not a denomination, we're a right. convention. Right. Uh, so there is a way in which it's kind of interesting that there's a, a kind of unity among a very disparate bunch 
But then when it comes to issues like this, it makes it very, very foggy. Uh, it's just like you say, you know, you have an issue going on in your church and something that's church discipline and it, it doesn't work out in a satisfactory way. Where do you go? Well, nowhere. You, right. <laughs> you pick up and go to another church is what you do. <laughs> right. And the, the other thing, the other thing that I have seen and talked to people is you were talking about how the churches even vary on how they uh, on their own church polity. So right. what what ha- I've I've heard stories from from people where the pastor re- there's not a plurality plurality of elders mm-hmm. there's i've i've heard of churches that have the pastor and then deacons but the mm-hmm. pastor really you know runs everything in my church i mean the pastor doesn't even choose what what he's going to preach on without talking to the session they decide mm-hmm. they decide even that together and so and i i think anyone who's been in the church for any length of time has probably heard stories before you know where a pastor starts running everything and it and it gets kind of mm-hmm. kind of icky. But I've also seen in non-Presbyterian churches that are run by a plurality of elders. I, I heard of a situation recently where the pastor was really preaching on some things that were concerning. And because it's led by a plurality of elders, the elders went to him and confronted him. And, you know, it didn't end up, I would say it didn't end up well, but in a way it did end up well because what what should have happened happened, you know, mm-hmm. where the pat they pastor, you're going to have to leave because we think what you're doing is unbiblical. Right. And but had they not had a plurality of elders. Right. Then what? Right. They don't have a plurality plurality of elders, what ends up happening is one of the church splits mm-hmm. where half the people go with the pastor, half the people go with the unhappy people. Yep. And that's exactly right. Uh, we've been through a church split like that. It's, uh, it's devastating to everybody. It's, it's very, very difficult thing to go through. Um, and I think it actually happens a lot. Yeah, I, I think it is. I think that we have a lot more churches that are going to be similar, at least in American evangelicalism, are going to be similar to how the Southern Baptist Church is run, as you know, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. than uh, than Presbyterian form of church government. I think you're right. Um, I, I was just thinking as you were talking, like there's, you know, some a lot of what we're talking about right now is, you know, we're talking about the SBC because that's, um, you know, they had their convention this week, and so. Um, it's, it's just being talked about a lot right now, but, um, a lot of what we're saying is not unique to the SBC. It's not just an SBC thing. You know, there's non-denominational churches that work like this and that, you know, they have even less going on in terms of, um, church polity because they don't have connection even to a convention like the SBC. And so, uh, and then there's also other, uh, smaller church networks that are out there that Baptist churches um, can become a part of, um, and then like regional Baptist networks. There's a, there's a lot of different ways that Baptist congregational kind of churches sort of link together and network right. and that sort of thing. Um, you know, one thing that has been really amazing to me in, uh, since, you know, my family, we became Presbyterian recently and learning more and more about our church polity, um, 
one thing that has really stood out to me is the difference between even what ordination means. You know, churches that we have been a part of in the past, um, becoming an elder goes kind of like somebody stands up at the front and says, hey, it's time for new elders. If you know anybody that you think should be an elder, put their name in the plate or put their name in the box at the back of the church. And so that happens. They gather the names. Then maybe a couple weeks later, their names are in the bulletin and it's announced again. Hey, these people are up for elder. If you know any reason why they would be disqualified, come talk to the pastor. If not, we're going to vote on them in a couple weeks. And so then the vote happens. And, um, you know, assuming that there was nothing disqualifying brought up, they're voted in as an elder. And um, so ordination boils down to recognition from the local congregation. This seems like a good guy with some wisdom. And so, um, you know, the doctrinal examination of these um, folks, well, I'll just say it probably varies a lot from place to place. I'm not going to say that there aren't Baptist churches that don't do um, a, a pretty scrutinous doctrinal examination, but it's pretty amazing to me that in the Presbyterian church, that happens the end. Like that's, it's part of what is going to happen. There's no such thing as, hey, Billy seems like a good guy. He's wise. I've been to a cookout with him before and their family seems kind of nice. He should be elder. It goes far, far, far beyond that. And so I, I love the idea that these folks um, in the Presbyterian church, there is a level of uh, training in doctrine because they recognize that their job is going to be um, to put their arms around something called the truth and stuff that's not gets kept out. That's a big part of their job. And so um, that has been fascinating to me, comforting. I love it. Um, I think that there are a lot of um, churches that could benefit from making the ordination process more rigorous um, since they're not really connected to a, a bigger body like the Presbyterian church. Yeah. And I, I would, I would add to, you know, one thing I've seen even in our reform circles where a guy, will, a reformed Baptist will go to two years of Bible college and then decide he's going to plant a church. He's had two years of Bible <laughs> right. plant a church. Right. And then their church gets going and they join the Southern Baptist Convention or right. whatever, where, you know, every Presbyterian pastor I have has been to seminary right. and has gone through quite a rigorous doctrinal examination mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in, you know, for his ordination. And so I, I know, I mean, I have friends, I, I have friends who think we shouldn't require men to go to seminary, but I actually find some comfort in the doctrinal knowledge and study that my pastors have been through. Right. I, I completely agree. Well, we could probably, we probably could have done a whole episode on this. We sure but, could. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe we'll, we'll have to do that. Uh, if now, you know what? If you don't understand Presbyterian form of church government, I'm going to link in the episode notes our episode with Presbycast where we talked mm, about yeah, Presbyterianism because I think that is a really helpful, helpful episode. Well, I think we should do a yeah about that. 
So Angela, I'm going to let you do a yeah about that. So oh my. Do one. And I, I feel initiated. Yay. <laughs> So, you know, there's uh, the, the PCA General Assembly uh, um, has been going on this week. There's, there's, uh, it seems like there's a lot of denominational meetings going on uh, this week. But um, so there's been a lot of, of uh, issues being discussed on Twitter because they're being discussed in, in different denominations uh, meetings. And so there was a, a tweet um, today. Uh, by Todd Pruitt about something that happened today um, in the General Assembly of the PCA. And he received a reply to his tweet that I thought was interesting. Um, let me just read that tweet. It says, to make temptation equal to the sin as it relates to LGBTQ people is to effectively make their very person, their very existence, sinful. What do you think about that, Colleen? Well, I think that our very existence is corrupted with sin, which is why we need Christ. Mm -hmm. And yet my identity is not that corruption. My mm -hmm. identity is who I am in Christ because of his forgiveness and imputed righteousness. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I, I thought it was very interesting that when I first thought, saw this tweet, the, the very first thing that I thought was, um, so um, I think that what this person is saying is that they are trying to say, my very existence is not sinful. Um, it came across to me as very close to a denial of original sin. And, you know, I, m I personally do not struggle with same-sex attraction. That is not one of my personal sin struggles. And yet I would still say of myself that my very existence, um, I was, I'm born in sin. I the fact that I'm here, I'm, I have total depravity to deal with. Uh, we believe that every part of our person is corrupted by sin. That's what total depravity is. So I would confess this about myself, even though that's not my struggle. And so it, it, it becomes a mind bender for me to wonder, why are you not willing to confess this about yourself? I, I don't see this as a terrible thing to say that my very existence is sinful. In fact, we preach the law because that's what shows us I have a need, a great need for a savior because I don't measure up. I am sinful. Right. I know that there is a lot of debate about whether or not the temptation is sinful. And one thing that, that I've thought a lot about. Well, first of all, I don't think there's anything else that we would define ourselves like, hi, I'm Colleen. I'm a coveting Christian. <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm a Sabbath breaking Christian. Um, and, and they would say, well, it's different because that's a sin and we're talking a temptation. But mm -hmm, I, mm -hmm. I'm not sure that attract the attraction itself is is a temptation. I think the attraction brings a temptation to act on it. But mm -hmm. I don't think, I'm not sure that the attraction itself is a temptation. Right. So there, there is a difference. So me as a married woman, if, if there, there can be an attractive man, but if I'm attracted to him, I think that that, that would be wrong. Right, right. It, attracted to him in a, in a sexual way. You know, something interesting that came, that was discussed on this thread um, 
was the distinction between an internal and inward temptation and an outward temptation, talking about how um, an inward temptation is derived out of our desires mm-hmm. and the desires themselves are what is sinful. Um, and I, I, I thought that was um, an interesting uh, line of thought there, something that I'm going to have to study more. Right. But I think that the unfortunate thing about that is, is identity. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. absolutely. We've talked about this so many times because I think really in our culture, in recent years especially, there's been a strong emphasis on identity. Mm-hmm. Where, who is your identity in? And when we are we are making our identity, even if even if we were to say that's only a temptation, but why would we make our identity a temptation that we have? When, as Christians, our identity should be in Christ. Yes, I'm still a mom. I'm still a wife. I'm these things, but my primary identity is who I am in Christ. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think uh, I think you're absolutely right, and I think that that goes to something that's maybe a little bit more universal that all of us can relate to, not just folks with same-sex uh, attraction as as their sin struggle. And that is that you know we all are looking for a way to belong. We all want to have a tribe. You know, we it, it feels good to have um, that group around me who just gets me, who gets my struggle, who gets all the things, and what we should long for as believers is for that tribe to be believers and our brothers and sisters in Christ who are in the Lord. And the reason they get me and the reason why we are together as a family is because what uh, makes us together, what makes us as family is that we are in Christ. We have Christ in common. And so uh, that is where we should be finding our identity because that is what binds us together. Yes, and every single one of us has sin struggles, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. whether they're temptations or actual sin, every single one of us, and they're different. You know, my sin struggles are different than yours, and, you know, even if we have simil- some similar ones, we all have mm-hmm. individual ones that we struggle with on a daily basis, and I think, I think for myself, if I had somebody, if I spent the bulk of my time with people with the same sin struggles, I might become more comfortable in my mm-hmm. sin. Maybe I'm wrong. I, you know, maybe you now at the same time, I do understand that if I talk to somebody who's had a similar sin struggle that I have and can encourage me in that, I do get that too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think this is something that I've been studying because of the Revoice Conference, but I, I do have um, some concerns. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely concerns with that. So, well, this was fun episode and we appreciate you listening. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next week.